Hello and welcome to the week six edition of Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Samini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. I've been covering them for 32 years, and this is only the second time we've been in a season like this. Oh, and five. The only other time was in 1996. So, and that team finished one and 15. If that gives you maybe some idea of what kind of season we're heading to over the next couple of months. Uh, just a little fun fact here. Not so fun, actually. This is only the fourth team in the last 30 years to lose their first five games by multiple scores. As you know, the Jets have lost by at least nine in every game. That is just astounding. You know, the headline here, you want to know about the draft pick. You know, the chase for number one. The Jets currently are uh, one of three winless teams. They're in the third slot right now behind the Giants and the Falcons. That is based on strength of schedule. The Jets have been playing the strongest schedule, so that's why they're in the third spot. As we know, those numbers fluctuate on a week-to-week basis. I'm really excited about this show. Our guest in the second quarter is former, longtime, and popular Jets special teams coach Mike Westoff. I'm really looking forward to that conversation. You know, Mike finished his career with the Saints, and he knows Sean Payton really well. And I'm looking forward to asking Mike about Sean Payton. There's always been rumblings about Payton, about whether he'd be interested in leaving the Saints. I'm going to ask Mike if Sean Payton would be interested in coming to the Jets as sort of a Bill Parcells type of acquisition. We'll see about that. I, I'm curious to hear his answer. Look, we know what happened over the weekend. The Jets lost 30-10 to 10 to Arizona. I, I got the sense in that. At no point in that game did I ever actually think the Jets were going to win, but I don't want to rehash that game. That's You guys know what happened. No need to go into it. I don't want to insult your intelligence. I really want to go into the big story surrounding the team right now, and that's Le'Veon Bell, apparently unhappy again, even though he did not speak to the media on Sunday or Monday, which, by the way, is a violation of the league media policy. He expressed, you know, if you could call it expressing his unhappiness by liking a couple of tweets after the game, a couple of tweets that were suggesting that he'd be better off being traded and that he was being misused in the Jet offense. So liking those, I guess, is a, a quasi-endorsement of that sentiment. Uh, it's a shame that we've come to this. You know, athletes, I, I wish Le'Veon would just go to his coach face-to-face instead of letting his thumbs do the talking. Uh, but I want to look at this closely. So I think he was upset that he was only targeted once in this game. One target, one catch for seven yards, and people are jumping off the roof, screaming about how the Jets are misusing him. Well, let's take a little bit a closer look. Now, I broke down the tape. I looked at the cut-ups. I checked the NFL Next Gen stats. And let's look at that one target, shall we? He ran 25 pass routes against Arizona. That's a lot for a running back. In week five, Only five running backs ran more pass routes than Bell. Alvin Kamara, David Montgomery, Miles Sanders, Mike Davis, and Zeke Elliott. Those are the only five running backs that ran more routes than Bell in week five. Now, Le'Veon was only targeted the, the one time, but he was out there running routes. And three times they lined him up as a wide receiver. So they... There was some 
effort being made to be a little bit creative. Now, I looked at those three plays, and I got to call Adam Gase out on this. He said after the game that they weren't getting the coverage they wanted. They said it was because they had safeties covering Bell, not linebackers. Well, that's not true. On the three plays in which he was split out as a wide receiver, Bell was covered by a linebacker. Devondre Campbell, Jordan Hicks, and Isaiah Simmons. Now, to be fair, Isaiah Simmons, the highly drafted rookie, is sort of a hybrid linebacker slash safety. So, but the fact is he's listed as a linebacker and Bell was covered by a linebacker three times when split out as a wide receiver. Now, one of those plays was the Crowder touchdown. So you can't quibble with that. It resulted in a touchdown. Um, You know, I saw him running out of the backfield a couple of times as a running back where he was wide open and Flacco went elsewhere with the ball. So I think, you know, the quarterback has to take some accountability too here. You know, the coach cannot force the quarterback to throw the ball to a certain place. Maybe Flacco had a misread or two. It was his first time playing in the jet offense as a starter. So he's entitled to have a couple of misreads. Um, But the point is, I think this was an overreaction to one game one target. But really, I I think there's more of a cumulative effect here. I think Bell is just frustrated. It's maybe ironic, definitely hypocritical that he's gone to social media. He called out Jamal Adams in training camp for doing that. And now he seems to be taking the same approach, which I find hysterical. But the bottom line is the trading deadline is coming up in a couple of weeks. And I wrote this after the game. I think the Jets should trade him. It's a no-brainer. If you can get something for him, which is going to be difficult because he still owed about $5 million on that contract and it's guaranteed. But if you can get something, even a third day draft pick, trade him. It's a no brainer. And this is not an anti-Bell sentiment. I do believe he's being misused by Gase, especially in the passing game. However, Having him on the team doesn't help anything. The Jets have to think about 2021 right now. This season's over. It's all about next year. If you keep Bell on the roster, he's what Bill Parcells used to call a progress stopper. You got to get LaMichael Pirine some touches. He can't sit on the bench. You got to find out if he's your answer going forward. So trade Bell if you can. It'll, It'll take some creativity. Trade him anywhere. And just ride it out with P. Ryan and Frank Gore the rest of the way. At least you'll find out what you have in P. Ryan. If they need a third running back, remember, they just claimed Ty Johnson on waivers from the Lions last week. So they have a third guy in emergency. And really, it's it's a no-brainer. And I'm not taking sides here. I do believe Gase has misused him. I do believe Bell should behave better and not take childish tactics by going on social media. So, But the point is... He's not helping the team. They're losing with him. You might as well trade him if you can get something for him. Maybe he'll take a little bit of a pay cut. I doubt he'd do that, but you may have to eat some money here. The Jets may have to eat money and maybe even throw in a little sweetener into the deal to entice someone to take him off their hands. But the point is you have to do it. If it's there, do it. No brainer. Move on. And we're moving on into the second quarter. I'd like to welcome in our special guest this week. It's Mike Westoff, the former Jets special teams coach. He was the Jets special teams coach from 2001 to 2012, and the Jets made the playoffs six times in that span. Uh, In 2019, he was the recipient of the Paul Zimmerman Award given by the Pro Football Writers of America. I was there that night. 
and he goes to an assistant coach for lifetime achievement. He was also with the Saints just recently in 2017-18. He's retired and living in Florida. He's a spectacular, I think, the best special teams coach ever. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast, Mike. <laughs> Rich, I'm happy to do it. Thanks for having me. So, you know, it's been – you left the Jets in 2012, was your last season with the Jets, and you were there for, for what now appear to be the glory days. The Jets, this will be their 10th straight season – out of the playoffs, I know you watch this team from afar. What the heck is going on? We were a certain type of football team, and we go to two AFC championship games. And then all of a sudden, Mike Tannenbaum's going to change us to the New England Patriots. And we went down the drain. And, and, but, but for those years, you know, 50% of the time when I was there, we were in the playoffs. And I, you know, I, I always, you hear that thing, you know, same old Jets. Well, I'm going to guarantee you, in those 12 years, we were not the same old Jets. We were a good football team in a lot of different ways. But we were a type of team that had an image, and we had to play a certain way. I, I, I sometimes get disappointed, and even though I thought Rex did a good job, I wish he had maybe – I'm not sure how to say this. Actually, I'm going to write about this. I have to think of it. Maybe fought a little bit harder with Mike to keep us on that path. Was it the sexiest path? Probably not. But we were tough, and we could win. You know, we went – I mean, come on. We, we, we won some really good football games at that period of time. Went up to New England, beat them in the playoffs. We beat Peyton Manning in his last game out in Indianapolis. You know, we, 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 we matched up against the Steelers and against a good Colt team in those championship games. But my years at the Jets – it was really fun. Since then, I don't think they've had any type of image. And I know it pretty well because for the first five years, I worked in the media. Right. I did radio shows at ESPN, and I did the television shows at SMY for the Jets. So I studied them very carefully. You just saw it disintegrate, and they didn't build it. The quarterback situation was all over the place. They couldn't get that one figured out. And it just went from – Know, kind of one you know, peaks and valleys, mostly valleys. And they and now I don't study them like I used to, of course, or like you do, but they look almost hopeless. They just look helpless out there. They just don't have enough players. They're not near as good. And so it's taken a big dive. I'm proud of my time and very disappointed in what's happened since I've left. You know, I think the key turning point, I think maybe in your last year, they brought in Tebow and that became a big distraction. And then after that year, they fired Mike Tannenbaum and they brought in John Idzik, who really didn't even know football. He was more of a cap guy. And I think ever right. since then, they've been just sort of searching, you know, and, you know, the GM and the coach don't seem to be aligned. They're always on different timetables. And I think that's showing up now too with uh, with Mike Mc not Mike McCagney with Joe Douglas and Adam Gase. It's yeah, you can. I agree, Rich. You can see that. You know, after I was out, and, and I was happy being out doing what I was doing. I was doing the media stuff. I knew I wouldn't do it forever, but then I get a call from New Orleans, and I didn't know anybody. I never met Sean Payton in my life. The only player I even knew on the whole team was Drew Brees. I didn't know anybody, but they convinced me to go, and I went down there. But I'm going to tell you what. That is a really good organization. Mickey Lomas and, and, and Sean Payton, they're all on the same page. 
everybody, every little thing they do is, is really done exceptionally well. They do more things for the players. And I, I've said this, if you're a player, you're at the New Orleans Saints, you've got to think long and hard before you leave that place. But they really do a great job of taking care of what they have. I thought they were administrated exceptionally well. And when I was there, I'm so disappointed because we should have gone to two Super Bowls. And they are a good organization that, just what you just mentioned, they do an exceptional job of that. Mike, let me ask you, it's kind of a hypothetical question, but play along with me a little bit. So the Jets, I mean, chances are they'll be looking for a coach after this season. There are some fans, I think personally, they need a proven guy like a Bill Parcells type of guy to come in and, and turn this culture around. There's been some rumors about Sean Payton. Could you ever see him leaving New Orleans to come to a place like the Jets to take total control and try to rebuild this? That's a good question. That's a really good question. And I would say, you know, there's a no and a yes. I know he's very happy there with what he's established and what he's done. I also know that, that he's always, he's up for a challenge. He's not, he's like, you know, he, he does, he does, his work ethic is off the charts. I mean, he, you know, he, he game plans. He, there, he's there all night. He calls all the plays. He administrates the game. You know, I mean, he was great to me. He let me have everything that I wanted and I did. But yet he administrated the game more so than any place I've ever been other than with Coach Shula. Don Shula did that. Sean does that. Would he be a guy that, that might take a look at it? I would say yes. And it has nothing to do with any being dissatisfied at New Orleans. But sometimes there's a shelf life. You know, and you, you know, Drew isn't going to play forever. I mean, I think he's got a, a great, a great look road ahead with Taysom Hill. I think that's my guy. You know, that's my guy. I found the guy. That's my buddy. Right. I think it can make him a quarterback, but it'll take a total revision of their offense. Can anyone do it? John Payton could do it. I believe he can. Would he maybe come to New York? The idea of, yeah, it's still New York, even though from what I hear, I'm not as anxious to go into Manhattan as I used to be. Right. It's, not, it's, not, it's, a little, it's a little different today. But nonetheless, it's still New York. And there is that mystique. And I think Sean might be a guy that would accept that challenge. I know one thing. If he did, you would see a whole new culture develop because he keeps things on the same page. We would have staff meetings. Everybody was involved. All the personnel, all the scouts, all the trainers. Every day, we would meet with everybody. And so you knew that everyone contributed and they were all on the same page when he would ask me questions about my area everybody knew what I was talking about if there was a player I didn't want I didn't have to go find a personnel director I was sitting right there and that's how that's how he does business and I think that's the way you should do it you know so so to answer your question or you know no because not that he's not satisfied but yes if there's someone would accept that challenge if you could get that guy, I'd take him in a minute. Yeah, I mean, it would cost them a, a, a ransom. I mean, he'd get it. They'd have to pay him over ten million a year, and they'd have to tr compensate the uh, Saints with a, a first-round draft pick and probably more. But you know, when you're in a situation like the Jets are now, I think it takes a proven guy. I mean, instead of bringing in an unproven coordinator, I think you need a, a culture changer. And to me, he's, he could be that guy. I mean, that's just my opinion. I, I, think, it's, I think it's a really interesting point. Uh, 
I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to bring it up to him now, but because I do talk with him still. <laughs> but it's intriguing. It's intriguing because he, he could do it. He knows all parts of the game. He studies it. Um, I go along great with him. And I didn't know him. I didn't know. I never met him. And he convinced me to come down there. And then he just, the way they took care of me was incredible. And I helped them. So they felt that they were a really good football team, but their, their picking game had, had just, it, it had kind of fallen way down. And so when I walked in there, they were ranked 31st in the league. When I left, we were first. So I'll take that movement. I'm pretty happy with that. So, Mike, you, you know, you had an extraordinary career in football. And I think if they ever add assistant coaches to Canton, you should be, as Parcells would say, you should be going in on roller skates. That's just my own personal opinion. But I'm wondering, the way it ended the two years in New Orleans, like you alluded to this earlier, two crushing playoff losses. You had the Minnesota Miracle, uh, that crazy play at the end with Stephon Diggs. You were there for that. And then, you know, the, uh, the highly controversial, you know, pass interference. I mean, you know, you came so close to making Super Bowls. What's that like now that you're out? I mean, is that kind of a haunting thing for you? It's, it's a difficult thing. It's not necessarily haunting. Um, it, you know, I've been in playoff situations. Or right, I knocked right on the door five times. You know, once down in Miami, twice with Rex, and then twice in New Orleans, where I could have gone to Super Bowl all those times. And that is a culminating aspect of your career. And I would have loved to have that opportunity. I think as a special teams coach, as a coordinator, or even as an offensive line coach, what I started at, that that's not defining of what I've done. I think as a head coach, maybe as a quarterback, and as an administrator, a general manager, you need that to really put a, a really define your career. I think if someone that does what I did, um, I would have given anything to have it. But the fact that I didn't, I don't believe defines my career. Uh, because sometimes, you know, we can only control what we can control. And, and so, you know, you have to, it's very disappointing. It was heartbreaking for me. And, um, and, and I very much am remiss. But I don't look at my career as any aspect of a failure. Because there's a lot of guys, coaches, that have Super Bowl rings that I could beat with my eyes closed. <laughs> I don't care. I know it. I know when I played them, I was going to beat them. Well, they stole everything I did. They tried to anyway. And uh, so that's how I feel. Yes, would I love to have that and be able to say, hey, we did it better than anybody. But there are times at the end of a year when I look back and I thought to myself, we did it better than anybody. We did this part of the job better than anybody. And then I, as I look back at entire career, you know, my goal was always once – you know, I had to go through a lot of health things, and that and that put a that, that put me behind the eight ball sometimes with moving forward in a career toward a head coaching job. It made it a little more difficult for me. But sometimes, you know, I'm trying to get out of a Memorial Sloan Kettering, and not worry about you know where am I going next. And I'm fighting that battle, and so my goal was always, all right, take what cards you've been dealt and do it better than anybody ever did it. That was my goal. Did I do that? I don't know, but I think I'm in a damn argument. I'm pretty sure about that. I would agree. You know, I did a little research before we came on, Mike. I think I was looking about longest tenured coaches in Jet history. You know, Walt Michaels spent 17 years with the Jets 
as an assistant, as in a head, as in a head coach also, but he had two different stints. I think, now I don't know for certain, but I think your 12 years might be the longest continuous uh, time for any coach, assistant or head coach in jet franchise history. Uh, <laughs> so that, that's a heck of a run 12 years. And I know you're going to talk a lot about it uh, for the fans who don't know, Mike is in the midst of writing a, a book right now, like a memoir of his you know, career, which, you know, he's been around so many legends like Don Shula, Dan Marino. And Mike, if you could just, I know you're right in the, in the middle of this process, the book writing process right now, what can, when this comes out, what could fans look forward to uh, in the Mike Westoff history? I'm, I'm about three quarters done, Rich. I'm three quarters done. And uh, Barry Wilner's helping me, although I'm writing it. I write every single word. It's maybe the hardest thing I've ever done. It's time consuming. I'm about three quarters finished. And really what title of the book's going to be figure it out. And that's kind of what I did. I came out of nowhere and I grew up in the city of Pittsburgh. You know, I had to fight to get a football scholarship or I wouldn't have been able to go to college. I figured it out. I figured out how to get a degree and a master's degree and work my way through the system. When I got in the NFL, I really didn't know anybody. You know, I got lucky. I got Frank Cush hired me. That's an incredible story of how that happened. Don Shula, I was with him forever, and then moved to the Jets, and da 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 But it's really someone that took that level of thinking, got people that kind of were the same kind of guy. I mean, you know, some of those special teams players that I had, hell, nobody even heard about them. They didn't know who they were. And I got them to think the same way, and we pretty much hold the records now because the, the special teams part of the game has so dramatically changed. That that's not that you can't you know like my my twelve years with the New York Jets. I'll give you I'll give you an interesting number. My twelve years, I had nine nine different guys that led the league at one time or another in returns. Wow, who's going to touch that record? Nobody. There's so many plays anymore. You can't get it. And so it's a book all about that. And then what we've done that I think is really pretty cool is Barry being a reporter. He calls these guys and interviews them. And then he records the interview and he types it and he sends it to me. And then I move it into the book where it's applicable. So it's not only how I saw it, but it's the very words of the guys who lived it and did it and what they thought of it and what they thought of what we were doing and me and their role. And so I think what it is, it's a good sports story. It's a good story about you know, we weren't – I watch I watch the sports in the morning, and I'm constantly hearing, you know, about the way the game is being played today. And how much is the quarterback going to be paid? Is he going to be paid $50 million or $60 million? That's like the big topic of the day. And so I went from the total other end of the scale, the guy that nobody maybe knew about, that came in and all of a sudden contributed viably. I, I, I'm a big believer, and, you know, I'm a, I'm a little cocky about it, but that's just – that's okay. Um, the things we did in New York drastically helped the New York Jets get into playoffs in a lot of different ways. We made a difference, you know, with the – you know, Leon Washington running returns and the blocking kicks, the things that we did, and, and the smart things, the rules that – you know, not being – I did a thing today about penalties. We went uh, – I just wrote it this morning – we went for about an eight-year period of time that we were the least penalized team in the National Football League. Least. 
The Jets would sign up for that now. <laughs> sign up for that now. I mean, I hired a guy, Bob Miller, that did our that helped us as an official. We put Rex, we put him in charge of replays. So he studied all the rules. He studied the tendencies of the officials. So when it came time to whether or not we should challenge, he was with us in the booth. He would advise Rex. We had the highest percentage of success challenges in the National Football League. Those things helped us win games. They helped us. So that's what I'm writing about. I'm writing about and the different stories and my connections with Woody Hayes, Air Bryant, Bob Knight, Bill Walsh, Mike Pitka, and I can go on and on and on, I wow. think are really cool. Of course, Bon Shula for all those years. And so it's a, I think it's a really cool story. It's difficult to tell, but I think when people read it, I want them to feel the emotion that, that I felt. You know, the, the happiness, the sadness, you know, the, the, the special part of being in a, a great business at a time that I think will get judged as the greatest time ever in the history of the league. Absolutely greatest time ever. And the, the Barry Mike is referring to is, of course, Barry Wilner, the Barry longtime Wilner. outstanding uh, you know, football writer for the Associated Press. Barry's great. So this is going to be a great read for football fans, especially Jet fans, when this comes out. And one thing about Mike, I covered him all his 12 years in New York. Mike never BSed the media. You know, you just told it like it was. So many coaches nowadays give the politically correct answer. You always gave the honest answer, and we always appreciated that. And uh, I really, really thank you for coming on the podcast. This was really insightful stuff, Mike. A lot of fun for me to help, so thank you. Thanks, Mike. Take care, and I'm looking forward to reading that book someday. Okay. Take, take care. I did the spring, I hope. All right, everybody, we're in the third quarter now, and uh, we got some really good questions this week. Thank you again for chiming in on Twitter. We'll start it off with at rwilner1. How many more weeks will, will Gase be here, and is he worse than Rich Kotite? The answer to the second one is absolutely not Rich Kotite, and I covered Rich Kotite. He was not a good coach, and, you know, Gase... Clearly, the results aren't there. But one thing you can never question about Adam is his work ethic. He works inordinate hours, number of hours. He's a workaholic. Rich Kotite was not. Rich Kotite worked banker's hours. There was one time where I sat outside the locker room for three hours waiting to Keyshawn Johnson coming back from a medical exam because he got hurt in practice. And about five in the afternoon, Rich Kotite walked out to his car and said to me, oh, I'll be back in a little bit. I'm just grabbing a bite to eat. Well, I was there for three hours and Rich Kotite never came back. And NFL head coaches do not work bankers hours. He did. There are stories of how he'd be on his cell phone talking to people during practice. So no, Adam Gase is a better coach than Rich Kotite. Trust me on that. Next one from at buddyboy underscore four. Not signing Robbie Anderson is clearly Joe Douglas's biggest offseason miss. What was the Jets' hesitation in keeping him? Did Robbie get gased? Fair criticism, buddy, because this is the biggest miss for Joe Douglas. Robbie's having a, I think he's on a 1,500-yard pace with Carolina. And it was kind of a perplexing decision. I know for a fact the Jets valued him as about a $10 million receiver. He got $10 million a year from Carolina. Two years, $20 million, $12 million guaranteed. It's not an outrageous contract. And I think... Joe Douglas was just trying to, 
you know, draw a line in the sand and, and not pay excessive money. I didn't think that was excessive money. He thought he could get the same production for less money from Bashad Perriman, which it obviously has been a miscalculation. I don't think he got gased. I think Adam liked him, but I know there was some concern about his off-season habits. Robbie's been in some trouble, not recently, but I know it's something the Jets were constantly monitoring him during the off-season to see if he was staying, you know, out of harm's way. And I thought they felt he was a one-trick pony as a wide receiver, and clearly that was a miscalculation because he's showing every week that he's more than just a vertical threat. Next one from at Steven Simon says, Steve Simon says, why do you think Gase hasn't been fired yet? Could it be because the Johnsons don't want Greg Williams to run the show as on an interim basis? No, I don't think, I don't think the Greg Williams piece factors into it that much. I just think you know, Christopher Johnson wants to show he's a man of his convictions. He hired this coach 21 games ago. It's not going well, obviously. And only a few weeks ago, he gave him a gushing endorsement. And I don't think he wants to be perceived as a guy who's going to flip-flop. He wants to ride this out as far as he can and give Gase a chance to see if he can do what he did last year, which was turn around a, a dire situation. Frankly, I don't think they can. I think it's more dire than last year. But uh, I think Christopher is going to let this ride out, at least in through, through the bye week, which is now in week 10. Next one from Matt Nixon, chest hair. I'll reserve commentary on that handle. But anyway, thoughts on Joe D's 2020 draft class? Haven't heard much about him, any player except Becton. You're right. Mims, Zuninga, Hall, Clark, all injured, have not been on the field. Ashton Davis, Missed time due injury. He's now getting back. He played a little more on Sunday. P. Ryan, I think, has been underutilized. Mann has been doing solid job as a punter, and James Morgan's not ready to play, nor I, I, I question whether if he'll ever be ready to play. So, yeah, this draft class has been severely diminished by the injuries, especially to Mims. Maybe this week he gets on the field, but I wouldn't bet on it. Next, at Jmart3299. Are the Jets actively looking to trade Sam Darnold? The answer is an emphatic no. I think you might be referring to an Adam Schefter story on ESPN over the weekend. He was merely speculating on what the Jets could get for Darnold in the offseason if they were to try to move him. Now, the only scenario that would prompt them to trade him would be, obviously, picking Trevor Lawrence or one of the highly other-rated quarterbacks. Anything short of that, they're not going to look to move on from Sam Darnold, certainly not during the season. They need to see him play as much as possible this year. Next, at sports underscore FI3ND, uh, why was Le'Veon hardly used in the passing game? You know, fair question. He only got one target, one catch for seven yards. They did use him as a receiver. They, they split him out three times wide, not targeted on any of those. I think the Gase didn't like the matchup. They thought it would be linebacker coverage. They kept getting safety coverage, and so they shied away from it. You know, I think this is becoming a bigger story than it needs to be because clearly Le'Veon went on social media and expressed some frustration. But, uh, you know, he did carry the ball a lot in the game, and I, I'd like to see him more involved in the passing attack. But the Jets have bigger fish to fry right now. And the last question from our loyal follower at Ian Damon 3. Why not fire Gase like the Falcons did with Dan Quinn? Shouldn't they get a jump on finding a replacement? And who would want to come to this organization? 
Well, this is not like the Falcons situation. Dan Quinn was the coach since 2015, and that team has been nosediving ever since they blew the big lead in the Super Bowl to the Patriots. The Falcons have talent, and they are underachieving, unlike the Jets, who don't have that much talent. So that's why that Quinn situation got out of hand. They're clearly uh, house-cleaning. They got rid of the GM, too. No, I don't think it's hurting the Jets finding a replacement, a potential replacement. Uh, that be, would become more of a factor in December when some of the college coaches are finishing up. And who would want to coach this organization? Well, if you have the first pick in the draft and you can start your coaching career with Trevor Lawrence, that would be a pretty enticing thing in, to come to New York. I do think some coaches will have major questions about the ownership of this team. We don't know about Woody Johnson. We don't know about Christopher Johnson going forward. So those are major questions. And But there's only 32 of these jobs, and I think they'd be able to attract someone. That's the end of the third quarter. You know, one of the things about being the uh, so-called elder statesman of the beat writers, I often, often get asked perspective questions. And lately, the question that's been coming up a lot even in the press box, is, Rich, is this the worst team you've ever covered? So, I mean, the obvious comparison would be to the 96 Jets, which started 0-8 and finished 1-15. They were a minus 175 in scoring margin. So that was a bad team. But let me tell you something about that team. They had some talent on that team. That was a team that fell well short of expectations, but not because of the talent. It was just, it was not coached properly. There was no direction. There was no culture. But let's look at that team for a second. They had a 1,200-yard rusher in Adrian Morrell. They had future pro bowlers in Keyshawn Johnson, Richie Anderson, Hugh Douglas, Mo Lewis, and Aaron Glenn. They had future Super Bowl champions in Keyshawn, Bobby Hamilton, and Marvin Washington. And they had a bunch of solid starters like Jumbo Elliott, Marvin Jones, Ray Mickens, and Victor Green and a future Ring of Honor member in Wayne Corbett. And actually, they had a future NFL head coach, Frank Reich, currently with the Colts. So that team, they had talent. They were a good bunch of guys, and they didn't deserve to be stuck with that label of, quote-unquote, worst team ever in Jet history. And, you know, now this current team, I think on paper, they're worse than the 96 team. They're 0-5, and they're a minus 86 in scoring margin. And really, the only guys on this current team that I could say are good enough to start with those other guys, I mean, you know, Jamison Crowder, of course, Makai Becton, assuming he gets healthy soon, Quinn and Williams, and maybe one or two others. But in most cases, if I had to pick, I'd pick those 96 guys. So, folks... We could be watching something historic here. This team has the potential to steal that title from those 96 guys who I know are eager to get rid of it. They don't want that title anymore. One of them texted me during a recent game and said, we got to get rid of this title. Do you think this team could go 0-16? So uh, anyway, a very interesting comparison, and it's something we'll be watching closely in the next few weeks. But that wraps up this week's show. I want to thank my special guest, Mike Westoff. Loved having him on. Thanks to my producer, Jeff Scopin. Please rate and subscribe Flight Tech. You can find it on any of the ESPN platforms, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. Appreciate you stopping by, enjoying the game on Sunday. 
Jets at Dolphins. I'm picking Dolphins in this one. Hardly a shock there. We'll talk to you next week on Flight Deck. Flight Deck.